2: And welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. As I write this, the snow is falling heavily outside. The forecasters have been predicting a blizzard for a week, and it has finally arrived. The snow is thick as icing on a birthday cake, weighing down trees, collapsing bushes, and building up on power lines. The electricity has been flickering like a flirt, batting its eyelashes as the wind threatens to whirl it away in a dance, leaving us in the dark. There isn't much ice yet, as it is still warm enough the snow is as heavy as wet sand. I was looking out the window last night, though, when it all started, wondering if Jack Frost would be leaving his art on the windows and across the snow, when I saw something move in the glow of the night snowfall, I held still and watched. Atop the fence jumped a creature I didn't know existed. It looked like an ice box. The first teller for this episode is Nora Dooley, who is a storyteller, critically acclaimed children's author and educator. She performs in schools, libraries, conferences, and festivals. She specializes in teaching people of all ages how important their stories are and how to tell them. Nora specializes in Irish and Italian folklore, and for the past 21 summers, she has told stories to thousands of children through ReadBoston.org. She teaches storytelling at Lesley University's Graduate School of Education and has taught storytelling to undergraduates at Lesley, Tufts, Boston, and Suffolk Universities. Her four published picture books are available at LearnerBooks.com, And all the titles, Everybody Cooks Rice, Everybody Bakes Bread, Everybody Serves Soup, and Everybody Brings Noodles, are about her family and their former Cambridge neighbors. This is her telling the story of Finn.
0: Now the story of Finn, Finn McCool, is a legend they say, for they say he had bones and flesh and blood just as we do, and that he at one time did walk this earth, but the thing about a legend is that so many tales grow around it, it's almost like a rock in a field where all those grasses grow around it and come to either obscure or maybe define the thing behind. And so it is with Finn, there are so many stories, but this story I want to tell you is about his growing up and his learning. Now, Finn had a very sorry beginning, for he was born in his mother's castle, but his grandfather, who had only recently killed his father, threw Finn out the window of the great tower where he was born, right into the moat below. Well, there was his grandmother, and she was no common granny. And she scooped him up, and she took him to the far, far deep of the forest, where she had had a chamber hewn out of a huge oak tree. And there she raised Finn, and she raised the dog Bran that she had with her, and the two became very close friends. Now she was not a common granny being, as she was the mother of a hero herself, and it was she who taught Finn all the arts of war, how to wield a sword, how to hold a spear, how to shoot an arrow. It was she who taught Finn how to run and all the tests of strength, for she was quite an unusual woman indeed. But she knew her limits, and she knew that she couldn't complete his education, so she said, Finn, now that you're old enough, you must go and find Finnegas. He is a great wizard, a great Druid, a man of great learning, and he will help you finish your learning. Well, Finn didn't want to leave his granny, the only home he had known, but Bran, his dog, who could speak to him, said, I think she means business, and we best be going. So the two set off, and they walked one whole day through the forest. They walked another whole day, till they came to the River Boyne. And there, in a great pool by the side of the river, they saw an old man in an old, old boat sitting right in the center of that pool fishing. There was a stone house by the side of the river there. And because Finn had not seen a single human being for an entire day, he yelled out, "'Hoy, old man, do you know where Finnegas lives?' And the old man said, "'Right well might I answer that, Finn?' for your grandmother has told me of your coming. Now fetch the bucket, get some water, start the fire, and let's be having some dinner soon when I come in. For in those days to study with a great man was to become his servant first. And so Finn did as he was told and made dinner, and the two of them after dinner were talking. And Finnegas explained what he was doing. He said, now listen here, Mr. Finn. There's some things you should know, but there are many things you should know, in fact. But let me tell you this. Along this river of Boyne, there are many hazelnut trees. And hazelnuts are a very potent source of knowledge and wisdom for certain kinds of beings. And there is a great salmon in this river who is just that kind of being. And anyone who can catch it and eat the first flesh of it will have all the knowledge they would ever need or want. And I can see you're wanting in some knowledge, Mr. Finn. And Finn got all defensive and said, What What do you mean by saying that? I know quite a lot. Oh, sure, sure, sure you do, said Finnegas. Certainly you do. So um, what's four times four? Well, that's sixteen, said Finn. Yes, indeed, you know that. And uh, how about uh, seven times seven? He said, well, that's forty-nine. Yes, and that's the exact same number of years I've been fishing for that great salmon of knowledge. Now, let me ask you three questions. The questions I'm going to ask you are the ones you'll need to answer, and then you will be finished with your learning with me. The first question is, what is stronger and swifter than a sword? Finn just made big eyes and shrugged. Now I didn't think you knew that, said Finnegas. And the second question is, what is more important than a true friend? Finn hugged his dog to him and said, Nothing! And Finnegas said, Yeah, yeah, and I thought you'd say that. One, too." He said, And who will be the hero that the people need in the time of their greatest need? Who will rise up and be their hero? Again, Finn just made big eyes and shrugged his shoulders. And then Finnegas said, Well, that's enough for tonight. I'm for bed. And the two of them went to sleep. And Finn worked for an entire turning of the seasons for Finnegas. And he learned many things. He learned a great deal of poetry. He learned about the things that grew in the land and the things that swam in the river. He learned about the stars. Many things, many things he learned. And he never was able to answer those questions to his teacher's satisfaction. So he worked and worked and worked and Finnegas kept on fishing every day, every day in the center of the river. and then. One day Finn was setting up the fire to start the dinner and he heard Finnegas come running in in a state of great agitation boy boy come out and see it come out and see it it's the great salmon of knowledge I've got it at last it's in the boat come 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 now boy at once and so Finn went down to the boat and there was this fish and it was not so much that its size was exceptional although it was large so much so that the, the light seemed to be shining out of its eyes and, and its iridescent scales. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing animal. Now start to cook this, fin," said Finnegas, for I must go to my tower and I must tell all the other druids and wizards around of this exceptional happening. And so he went off and he said, mind you, don't you touch a bite of it or do anything in any way to eat any morsel of it. Till I come back, I'll be the first one to eat o that. So he went off to his tower, and Finn started cooking it on the big stone slab, turning it this way and that way ever so carefully. Oh, how he wanted to do it just right for Finnegas. Because he was sure that when Finnegas had all the knowledge from this fish, maybe he would lend him some of those three answers because he wouldn't be so churly about it. Well, he was turning the fish this way and that. And then there was like a, a bubble formed on the side of the fish and he thought, oh dear, no, that would lack perfection because if that pops, then, then the fish will burn in that very spot. So he reached down with his thumb to press it down and he pressed it down, but oh, he burnt his thumb. Ah, and mm, mm, he sucked it. And as soon as he stuck his thumb in his mouth, his mind was all clouded. And and he saw visions of great armies and, and great castles. And he saw people carrying silver swords. And, and he saw this young man at the head of the army with great banners and a huge metal shield and a big golden sword. And he had the same face as that boy that he saw in the ward or sometime when it was very still and he went to wash. And then Finnegas came in and he said, boy, is that fish ready? And Finn looked up and he said, almost Finnegas, it's almost ready. But Finnegas looked at him and he said, boy, did you eat any of that fish? And Finnegas and said, oh no, Finnegas, I didn't eat any of it, no, I mean it just it was burning a bit like, and so I I pressed it down and I sucked my and Finnegas, ah let out a sigh and sat down and said, ah oh boy and he could see that Finn had gone from a boy into a man in the time it had taken him to go and make his messages, and he looked at him and he said, oh boy Young boy, then, well now, let me ask you the three questions, he said. What is stronger or swifter than a sword? And Finn stuck the thumb into his mouth, and he said, Why, thought is stronger and swifter than a sword, for without thought, the strongest sword will fail. Very good, said Finnegas, and here's the next question. Though I'm sure you'll know the answer. What is more important than a true friend? Finn did his thumb again and he said, It's the knowledge that they are a true friend. For without that knowledge, your enemies and your friends alike are all mixed in your mind. Very good, said Finnegas. And then this question then. Who will the people turn to in their hour of great need? Who will rise up and be their hero then, Finn? And Finn kept his thumb down and said, I think, Finnegas, it will be I. Oh, sure, and so it will, he said. And so it will. And now let's be eating this fish. And the two of them did. And it was the best fish ever cooked in this world or the next. And they enjoyed it very much. And Finn McCool became the great hero that his people needed. And whenever he needed any knowledge or any wisdom at any time, all he needed to do was bite his thumb, and true knowledge would come to him, such as an honest man and a true hero would need.
2: Today's fairy tale sponsor is Pandora Detective Services. Curiosity killed the cat. But Pandora never let that stop her. If you're facing a mystery in your life, let Pandora open the doors, look into the cupboards, and unlock the old trunks to solve the riddle for you. She takes all cases, from lost items to lost love. Do you wonder where your motivation went? She will wander through your mind until she discovers where it got misplaced. Have you been curious about that childhood friend who isn't polite enough to be on Facebook so you can spy on them? Pandora will track them down and let you in on all their secrets. Pandora cannot be held responsible for what she finds out in or out of your mind, so be prepared to deal with whatever she might find. For thorough, open, and curious detecting, get Pandora's Detective Services. Opening boxes since the beginning of time. This episode is also brought to you by the Patreon supporter, Rose Leckman-Allies. Rose has a unique gift of having a standing invitation to all fairy snail races. I don't know how she received that invitation, but when the weather is pleasant, she has been known to attend these races, sit with the fairies in the cool shade, and cheer on the snails and their riders one race can take hours, but Rose has the ability to spot a winner and has won quite a bit of fairy gold. Unfortunately, it all turns to leaves and beautiful stones once she leaves the fairy world, but her stories about the races are delightful to hear. Rose is also a generous supporter of storytelling, which is pretty cool. A big thank you to her and all the other patrons of the podcast. All patrons from the Magic Beans to the Seven Leg Boots get a story story podcast postcard four times a year. The postcards feature one of the delightful fairy tale sponsor images. Would you like to get a postcard from the podcast? If you sign up as a patron at any level, you will get one in the mail this month, wherever you are in the world become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash story story podcast or story story podcast.com and you patrons you are the fairy gold in our pockets the ice fox was not just a creature with white fur but the fur itself was made of ice it was so white it almost looked blue and transparent in the falling snow. It walked carefully along the fence and then gracefully leapt into the snow in the backyard. Then it stopped, looked over its shoulder, and gave a short yip. Even through closed windows, I could hear it. It sounded like ice cracking. Then up on the fence came three baby ice foxes, just old enough to hop around but still sporting their baby ice fur. Of course, this would be the time for an ice fox to have a litter right in the middle of winter when they would be most comfortable and safe from melting. I had to bite my lips from squealing out loud. They were so cute. They wobbled and balanced along the fence until they had enough courage to jump and plop, 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 landed in the snow beside their mother. They scrambled to their feet with snow all over them and they shook off. The sound was a tinkling sound of chimes. They followed after their mother, right past my window, and only one looked up and gave me a short yip. As it did, little icicles formed along the branches of the lilac bush that was being pressed down by snow. Then they frolicked off and into the snowy night. The second teller for this episode is Liz Weir. Liz has told her stories to people of all ages on five continents. She has performed in pubs and prisons and in hospital rooms. She has worked on stages in the mighty Vanderbilt Hall of New York's Grand Central Station and in the Royal Albert Hall. Liz Weir is a storyteller and writer from Northern Ireland. She was the first winner of the International Storybridge Award from the National Storytelling Network, which cited her exemplary work promoting the art of storytelling. She has mentored many a new storyteller, including myself and another host of this podcast, Isabel Hauser. For this episode, she is telling the story, Rathlin Fairy Tale.
1: Rathlin Fairy Tale Off the northeast coast of Ireland lies an island called Rathlin. It's a beautiful place with deep caves and rocky cliffs where many birds nest. Long ago, a little boy called Jim lived on Rathlin Island with his mother. And every year, Jim loved to go off to pick blackberries, which his mother made into the most delicious jam. He always wore his oldest clothes, his tattered tweed trousers and his old baggy hand-knit jumper because he usually came home covered in muck and dirt. One afternoon, before he set off, his mother gave the usual warning. Now you come home before it gets dark and don't go near the fairy tree. All over Ireland you can see hawthorn trees standing in fields all by themselves. Some people call them fairy thorns and often farmers won't cut them down for fear of annoying the wee folk. Jim's mother knew the old fairy stories, and she was taking no chances. While Jim was away, his mother worked about the farm, knowing how hungry Jim would be when he came back. She made his favourite meal of Champ, which was mashed potatoes mixed with scallions heated in milk. It was all ready to eat, and darkness was coming down, but there was no sign of Jim. His mother went outside carrying her hurricane lamp and called his name. Jim! Jim! Jim, But her voice just echoed back on the wind. She called her friends and neighbours, and together they started a search which lasted the whole night through. They searched the rocky cliff paths and combed the beaches, but the little boy had vanished. Jim's mother kept on hoping and praying, but by the next evening she had given up. She sat at the kitchen table with her head in her hands, weeping. Then all of a sudden she heard the door open and footsteps on the tiled floor. She looked up and there before her was Jim. She blinked back the tears and stared, hardly believing her eyes. He was so different. His face was scrubbed and clean, his hair neatly parted and his clothes They looked as though they were brand new. There were no holes in the trousers, no pulls on the jumper. Jim's mother hugged him tightly. Where have you been, son? she asked. What happened to you? And then Jim started to tell his story. I was coming home from picking blackberries and it was just getting dark when I saw this big bush full of berries at the foot of the fairy tree. I started to pick them and put them into my basket, when all of a sudden I felt myself being nipped and pinched. When I looked down, I saw all these tiny wee people, no higher than my knees. The fairies, gasped his mother. Suddenly I felt myself being lifted up and up, and then I fell down, down the hollow trunk of the tree. When I hit the bottom, I was lying inside the fairy raft and then I was plunged into a big bath full of soapy water. Some of the wee people scrubbed my face and neck. Others pulled at my old clothes. They took them away and washed them in another tub and little tailors sat with their legs crossed, darning and stitching. Then Jim's mother remembered what the old people used to say. They said that if the fairies captured a human boy or girl They would try to clean them of all the dirt and grime of the world we live in. If they could remove every trace of our world in one day, they could keep that child forever in their world. People said this had happened a lot in the old days. But Jim was home safe and sound. How could this be? How had he escaped? His mother didn't know how or why, but she was right glad of it. She put him to bed and they both thanked God for his safe return. At about ten o'clock that night, his mother heard Jim shouting, Mummy, come quick! When she ran to his side, he was sitting up in bed holding out his right hand. My finger's sore! Jim's mother took his small hand in hers, and when she looked at it closely, she saw that deep down under the nail of his middle finger was a thorn from a blackberry bush. Those clever fairies with all their cleaning and scrubbing had somehow missed that little thorn. But it was just enough of a link with our world to bring Jim back home safe and sound.
2: Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love. Find Nora Dooley at Norddooley.com and Liz Weir at LizWeir.org. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. We are in strange times for performing artists, but art is needed now more than ever. So many storytellers are doing online events, so you, yes you can see and hear some of your favorite storytellers of the podcast tell you stories from the comfort of your own home the opportunities to connect with the magic of live storytelling are abundant go find your favorite tellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home did you know you can connect with the podcast on facebook or instagram at story story podcast or me at rachel Ann harding you can see the fairy tale sponsor ads on the Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. While you're there, let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was curiosity. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was the massive snowstorm that came through this weekend. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after.
1: Mary Kate opened up the door and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, Mr. Today, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal.